John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now this is the, uh, the last of five chapters that began in chapter 13 and uh, that make up the farewell discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for the first four chapters he has been speaking to his disciples and teaching them and now he is praying, praying to his heavenly father. And we see something of the intimacy between Jesus and the Father as we read this passage. So chapter 17 of John's Gospel and the first 19 verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Amen. Thanks, Steve. As Steve said, we are uh, 
coming to the end of a series that we started quite a while ago. We've had a fair bit of a break over the last month or so. But over the next couple of weeks, today and next Sunday, the plan is to wrap up the series in this conversation, these words that Jesus speaks to his disciples on the night of his arrest, the night before the crucifixion. And we're going to be splitting this prayer up into two sections. Today we're going to be having a look at the first 11 verses, and then next week we'll try and look at the rest. It'd be good to get your Bible open there. Let's pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can consider your word now. We thank you that you have so richly blessed us with it, and we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit and that he helps us understand it. We pray, Lord, that he would be at work now, and uh, Lord God, that you would speak not just to our minds, uh, but you would shape our lives, that you would renew us and transform us from the inside out. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, sometimes there is a fascination with the last words that someone might speak before they die. Uh, Particularly if that person is famous or well-known, people will ask the question, what were their last words? Maybe we like to think that in those moments before death, there is particular clarity, particular insight that is not available to the rest of us. In that moment, something profound might be said. And so it's reported that that Ned Kelly, uh, in the moments before he was hung, uttered the words, such is life. And so if you ever see that tattooed along somebody's uh, arm or down their back, that's what they're referring to. It's reported that Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm so bored with it all. And if you Google, you'll find hundreds and hundreds of others. Now, I'm not sure whether we're meant to put more stock on them or not. Uh, But these here in John 17 are the last words that Jesus speaks in the presence of his disciple, according to the Gospel of John, uh, before he goes to the cross. And in fact, in in some ways, uh, this whole section of chapters 13 to 17 are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before the cross. But these here in chapter 17 are a little bit different. Not different in theme, though. The theme that we've looked at it throughout the series of encouragement and comfort and preparation uh, for disciples in the time of the absence of Jesus, they are very much coming through uh, in this, this, these verses. But it's different because, as Steve said, it's a prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus utters to his heavenly Father, prayed in the presence of his disciples for their encouragement and for ours. Now, as I said, we're going to be tackling this prayer over the next couple of weeks. Now, having decided that I'll do that over two weeks, I had to make a decision about where I was going to divide it. And uh, very disconcertingly, every commentator uh, divides this prayer up differently. But then I thought, that's wonderfully freeing, because I can divide it wherever I like, and I can probably find somebody to justify me uh, in doing so. So what I've decided to do is divide it somewhat unconventionally unconventionally, at the end of chapter 11, at verse 11. Next week, we'll have a look at more of the specifics that Jesus prays for the disciples in the rest of the prayer. But today, I want to have a look at the two requests that Jesus makes to his heavenly Father 
in these first 11 verses. Two requests that might look very different, but I want to suggest actually have a very common theme. Jesus is in these requests praying that God would accomplish his great plan for the salvation of his people. In praying this prayer in the presence of his disciples, Jesus is giving wonderful encouragement that our salvation, our place in the people of God, our place with Christ in eternity is a certainty because it is the plan of God being accomplished in the work of Christ and in his power. So two requests. The first of those is found in the first Five verses. And it's the request of Jesus to the Father that the Father would glorify him. It's firstly there in verse 2, glorify your son. And it's there again in verse 5, glorify me in your own presence. Now, maybe at first glance, this prayer that the Father would glorify the Son doesn't fit very well with our kind of image or our understanding of Jesus and what he was like and what he came to do. We think of Jesus, and rightfully so, as humble, as a servant, as submission. And yet here he's praying that he would be glorified. So we need to dig a little deeper, don't we? And ask the question, what is he asking for here? And I think as we do that, we'll actually find that this is the most incredibly Humble, sacrificial request. Now, the first of those two requests is there in verse 2. Have a look at it because it says some things around that which help us understand it. He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, that should trigger something for us because that phrase, the hour, is something that we've looked at before and it's all the way through the Gospel of John. And as Jesus spoke about the hour, he was talking about the hour of his glorification, but through his crucifixion. The hour was the hour of destiny when he would go to the cross. It was not the hour where there would be trumpets blazing and angels descending and the world worshipping. It would be the hour where he would be strung up to die. And so what Jesus is praying here, his father is, I go to the cross, glorify me. But then he goes on to add this, and he gives the reason for this glory. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And since you have given him authority over flesh, to give eternal life, all whom you have given him. Why does Jesus ask him to be glorified through a cross? So that glory would come to his Father, and eternal life would come to all those who've been given to him. In essence, Jesus is now asking the Father to be pleased with and to accept the sacrifice that he brings. He's praying that he would receive his work on the cross in the place of his people, that the Father would be glorified through it and that the payment will be made so that people can come to him. Is, is this a prayer of pride? 
of arrogance. It's absolutely not. It's a prayer of deep submission and humility and sacrifice. It's not a prayer prayed in hope. You know, sometimes we pray prayers, don't we? And we, well, we kind of pray them in hope that they are according to the will of God. I pray lots of prayers like that, and I don't know what God's will is, but this is not one of those. This, this is a prayer according to the plan and the will of God from the beginning of time to bring glory to God and salvation to people through the death and the crucifixion of the Son. But Jesus makes that request a second time, and he makes it down there in verse 5, and he's building on that theme. He says, verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. And now he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is asking, accept, accept the sacrifice I bring, and now, Father, Bring me home to yourself. Having done the work that you've called me to, bring me back to the glory in your presence that I had with you from the beginning. Now, lots of people uh, notice and comment that John's gospel um, doesn't have the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We actually sung about that prayer uh, in that last song. You know that prayer? That Jesus prays where he, he, he sweats like drops of blood and he prays, Father, if your, take, if your will, take this cup away from me, but not your will be done. Not my will be done, but yours. In essence, Jesus is praying the second half of that prayer here. Your will be done. Your plan, your purpose be put into place through my death. And my returning to you. Now, why is it that we get to listen to this prayer? Uh, why isn't this just a private prayer that Jesus prays? It would have been just as effective in a sense. Well, remember that the whole way through this section, Jesus is preparing his disciples then and today. And he's preparing us for the time that he will be away from us. The time that we are here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we learn, with him, him living with us waiting for him to come back and to bring us into glory. What Jesus is doing is he's putting that time and his work into the context of God's eternal plans and purposes. That death that the disciples are about to witness firsthand will not be, a death, will not be an accident or a cruel twist of fate. God will not be rushing around to find a plan B because plan A didn't work. It is the very plan of God itself, himself, to bring glory to the Father and the Son through the obedience of the Son and to bring salvation to all those that God has appointed to eternal life. Now, I wonder if you've uh, ever been certain of something only to be proven wrong. I had a brief moment of that when Steve hopped down after the prayer. I was certain I'd asked him to read the Bible, and I thought, uh-oh, I'm about to be proven wrong, but not that one. I had one the other day, though. Uh, I couldn't find my sunglasses. I was certain. I can still remember taking my sunglasses off and putting them on the seat of the car next to me so I could go into a meeting. I still have that memory. I'm certain of it. But I went there the next day, and my sunglasses were not on that seat. I began to panic. 
I thought maybe they'd been flicked out of the car and onto the road. Maybe I, I didn't know what had happened. Maybe someone had stolen them in the middle of the night. Who knows? Well, they ended up being in my bag and not on the seat uh, next to me uh, at all. But I was certain that they were there. Maybe that's uh, one of those uh, premature aging things that uh, people go through. Maybe I can just write that off as returning from holiday uh, brain. But it happens to all of us, doesn't it? We can be certain of something and then we're proven to be wrong. The question I want to ask this morning, is it possible to be certain of salvation and yet to be proven wrong? Is it possible to know for sure that you are saved and belong to God? I suspect that we've all asked that question at some point. And I suspect that we ask it when we're looking for an answer in the wrong place. When we're looking for certainty in ourselves and our behavior. But if what Jesus says and prays here is true, and if we have responded to him in faith, then our salvation is an absolute guaranteed certainty because it starts in the plan of God to bring us to faith. Because Jesus came in accordance with that plan and emptied himself of glory and became one of us. Because he prayed here, that the Father would glorify him through the death on a cross where he would pay the penalty for our sin absolutely and completely. And because according to the plan of God, he was raised from the dead as evidence that the payment had been accepted and he returned to the right hand of God, the Father in glory. That's where the certainty of our salvation lies. It's got nothing to do with how strong my faith is at this moment or that moment. Or how well I'm battling against sin in this day or that week or in the next year. It's got nothing to do with how I feel in the moment. It's certain because it starts and it's completed in the plans and the purposes of God. He gave us to his Son. And his son said, glorify me, and went to a cross and paid the price. And that price was accepted and paid in full. See, when we look at ourselves and our behavior and our thoughts and our feelings, our certainties will go up and down, won't they? One moment I'll be flying high and thinking it's all good, and the next moment I'll think it's absolutely lost and it's rubbish. That's when I need to look at my Savior, Jesus. That's where I need to focus on him and his work. According to the eternal plans and purposes of God. And remember that I belong to him. And he paid it. And he made it certain. Well, if that wasn't enough to bring us certainty, in the next section we get, Similar thing, or building on that thing from a different angle. This time, it's a prayer that Jesus prays directly concerning his disciples. Then, 
uh, and then also for us today. He starts that request in verse 6, but he does take a little bit of time to get to it. So we've got to just kind of see how this works. He starts to get there in verse 9, if you want to notice that. And he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he says, I'm praying for disciples. And then he comes to it in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, next week, we're going to look at some of the specifics of that request. Because in many ways, the rest of the prayer spells out how Jesus is asking that we be kept. But I want to notice, first of all, how Jesus gets there, the groundwork that he lays. Because he is saying something very important about who we are in the eyes of God and who we are to Jesus Christ. So start back there in verse 6 where this part of the prayer began, where Jesus unpacks his ministry. He unpacks what he's been doing. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Manifest is, is kind of like make known, revealed, shown. And when he talks about your name, he's talking about the person of God, the character of God, the attributes of God. He said, I have revealed, I have shown who you are to the people whom you have chosen out of the world. He says, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Jesus now then goes on to describe uh, that another way, and the same thing in another way. He says, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I have come from you. What's the mission and the plan of Jesus? Well, he says, I came, I manifested you, I gave them your word or your words, and they have responded to that word. They know the truth. They know that I come from you, uh, and they have believed that you sent me. Who is Jesus praying for here? He is praying for people who have belonged to God from creation. People who then the Father gave to the Son, and the Son showed them, revealed to them who the Father is through the Word, and enabled them to respond by believing, by trusting. Who are the followers of Jesus? In this world, are they just random collection of people from here, there, and everywhere? Well, they are, but they are people who are special to God, people who belong to God and have been made God's very own through the work of Jesus. Jesus makes it clear that there are two types of people in the world. There is the world at large, and he says quite clearly he's not praying for them. He prays for them in other places, so he doesn't just ignore them. But out of the world, he has his own who belong to him, and he prays for them. And what does he pray? He prays that in his absence, the Father would keep them. 
protect them, unite them, glorify himself through them. How can you be certain that you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ at the end of 2020? How can you be sure that you will be a follower of Jesus at the end of 2030 or beyond? There are so many things that are uncertain in life, aren't there? I have no idea where I will be in 2030. I could make some plans. Those plans will probably change. Absolutely no certainty. But how can we be certain that you'll be a disciple of Jesus? We can be certain because if our faith is in Christ, we are part of God's special people. Not because of our efforts, not because we're worthy, not because we will prove ourselves to be worthy, but because we belong to him. And the night before he went to the cross, before he would suffer and die, Jesus was thinking of us. Jesus had us on his mind and in his heart. And he handed us back to the Father and asked that the Father would keep us for all eternity. Keep us against disunity. and We'll look at that next week. And against the attacks of the evil one and the hatred of the world. And even against our own failings and fallings. He asked that the Father would keep us. He prayed for us then. And he's prayed for us since then. He's pleaded our case before the Father. And asked that the Father would keep us. That doesn't mean that we won't face uh, hardships and challenges. Absolutely not. In fact, quite the opposite. There will be many difficulties and trials along the way. Many things that would want, we would want to cause us to throw it and say, it's too hard. It's too much opposition. There's not enough fun. Many things as church and as individuals. But throughout it all, there will be a Savior who prayed and keeps praying. Father, keep them. Father, protect them. Father, unite them. We might be in the middle of one of those very difficult moments, those challenging times at the moment. We might feel like there's lots of reasons to give up, to be disheartened, think maybe we won't survive. We need to remember our Savior Jesus, who was thinking of us that night as he prayed, who went to the cross so that we would be his very own, who prayed, Father, keep them, and who prays that still today. Let's pray to him now. Lord God, we thank you uh, that our Savior prayed uh, the night before the cross. And we thank you that he prayed in submission uh, and in humility. And he prayed that he would do your will. And we thank you that he went to the cross and he was glorified in death and we thank you that he was raised from the dead and is at your right hand as our Lord and our Saviour and our King may our eyes be fixed on you may our hope our comfort and our encouragement come from you 
Lord God, in those moments where we doubt and fear and worry, may your peace fill us and renew us and sustain us. Lord God, keep us in your care. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.